Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good afternoon, Zinger Nation. This is Jason Rasnick coming to you live from Detroit Benzinga headquarters. Peter Schiff, what's up? Hey, how much? Euro Pacific Capital, all the way from Puerto Rico. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. What's going on? I don't know. Markets are all over. Um, you you give a good April Fool's joke to one of our guys today. Wow, I, I, didn't, I didn't do one today. I know, I know. This is crazy. We had a whole conversation about you. You have no idea what just happened here. So right. Spencer Israel comes over to me and says, Peter Schiff likes Bitcoin and said he was wrong about it. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Spencer? He's like, I promise you, 200%. He said that. I go, I was just with him in Puerto Rico, and that's not the case. His son owns it, but it's not the case. He's like, I promise you, Jason. And then all of a sudden, like right before we're about to go on air, he's like, Jason, it was an April Fool's joke. I fell for it. And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. And um, is that a true he's story? Just, yeah, well, he's just falling for it now. What is it? May 10th, I, 11th? I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. May 10th, May 11th. He just fell for it now. And he gave yeah. me fa- he gave me fake news. So I would have started out the interview and say, Peter, I heard you really had a big change of heart on crypto and uh, Bitcoin. And you've been like, Jason, are you high or something? And I've been like. I would, I would have Plus, you know, you know, in the April Fool's joke, I didn't actually say what about Bitcoin I was wrong about. I just said I was wrong about Bitcoin. It doesn't huh. necessarily mean that I was wrong in my assessment of Bitcoin's you know, viability as a as an asset or a currency or a form of money or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but everybody just assumed that what I meant by I was wrong about Bitcoin was that, oh, I was totally wrong. I should be. I, it's great. It's better than gold. People should buy it. But I never, I never tweeted out anything like that. Yeah, I mean that's you're right, you're right. I don't know, uh, Spencer had it all, yeah. all wrong. I mean, I, I was wrong about Bitcoin, and I didn't think that this many people would be dumb enough to buy it. So I was definitely wrong about that. You know. So, so that's how you feel. But what about your son, dude? Come on, what about yeah. your son having a piece yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah, he's dumb enough to buy it too. He's young and dumb. You know, he's uh, he's only eighteen. I got it. Yeah, people people do a lot of foolish things when they're when they're young. I was wrong about Bitcoin. There's the tweet. April Fool's. Since my tweet didn't specifically say what I was wrong, I got wrong. It was really a prank. I didn't think the bubble would get this big, or that so many other otherwise smart people would be foolish enough to buy it. So I was wrong about that, but right about everything else. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's, well, Spencer fell for it, so I loved it. Um, give me another chance to rip on Spencer. So what's new in Peter Schiffland? How is Euro specific? How is gold? What's What's new? What's new? And what they want well, to? Yeah. Keep well, going. you know, our investment strategies have been doing quite well. You know, we're benefiting from the long overdue rotation out of uh, the hyped up momentum type stocks into more traditional value oriented companies. Uh, pay good dividends, good fundamentals, good balance sheets that you can buy. You know, relatively cheap. Uh, both maybe on a historic basis or on an absolute basis. So that's doing well. Uh, We're starting to see um, money moving into uh, the resource space, Uh, you know, 
industrial materials, uh, agriculture, oil and gas. Uh, so those are a lot of the themes we have. The emerging markets are coming to life. And in general, I think we're starting to see some outperformance of uh, the foreign stocks versus uh, the U.S. stock market, which favors what we're doing. Uh, I think those trends are going to accelerate as people really come to terms with the depth of the problem that they're being very dismissive of. I mean, the United States is in a serious uh, economic problem. Uh, the Fed is papering it over uh, with money printing. Uh, but ultimately, the real problems are going to be exposed, uh, you know, the way they were, you know, with the 2008 financial crisis, only the problems now are much larger. And when they are exposed, the economic damage will be far more severe. And the government, unlike 08, is not going to be in a position to do anything about it. They're not going to be able to bail anybody out uh, because it's the dollar that's going to be collapsing. And all they can do is print dollars. And if people want the dollars, uh, then it can be helpful, but they're not going to want them. And so having more dollars that people don't want isn't going to be a bailout that is going to uh, be meaningful in any way. So what do they do? They're just totally out of options? No, I mean, uh, they, they're going to keep printing money, so they're going to keep making the problem worse. But there is nothing they could do other than getting out of the way and allowing all of the damage to finally you know, run its course. But unfortunately, because of all the years of kicking the can down the road, they have made the problems much worse than they were uh, a decade or two ago. And, and therefore, the, the economic pain associated with actually addressing those imbalances is going to be far greater than what would have been the case had they allowed this to happen sooner. But, you know, the politicians, they don't care about doing the right thing. They just care about doing the expedient thing. And that's always delaying the day of reckoning, even if you make that day of reckoning far worse. So in other words, they're kicking the can down the road. And I guess my question to you then is they're just going to keep trying to kick the can down the road. And what you're sort of suggesting is they're, they have fewer options because people don't want the dollar, et cetera. They have fewer options to kick the can down the road. Yeah. You know, I was watching on, on this interview with uh, Druckenmiller this morning on, on, on CNBC. And, you know, it's rare that somebody actually says anything on CNBC that, that makes sense at all. So at least uh, he made a lot of valid points. But one of the things that Druckenmiller still doesn't understand is that he he was talking about, hey, you know, I understand why the Fed had to react the way they did. It was an emergency. So they had these emergency stimulus but now the emergency is over. So why are they continuing to, uh, you know, pursue this emergency policy? You know, why are they still doing QE? Why are they still have rates at zero, even though the emergency is behind us? And he's, uh, you know, worried about the damage that all this excess liquidity is going to cause. And what he doesn't seem to understand is that the emergency now is that we're addicted to the emergency policy. That the, the problem was the Fed never should have done this in the first place. It was not the proper policy in the aftermath or of, of COVID because it simply created a phony economy that cannot be sustained if you withdraw all the emergency monetary supports, which is why they're still there. I mean, the Fed can't allow interest rates to rise. They can't stop printing money without this whole house of cards 
collapsing down. So the problem was from the beginning. It's not like they did it right initially, but now they're making a mistake. They made a mistake initially, and now they have to compound those mistakes to cover up the problems caused by the original mistakes. But now all those problems are being exacerbated. And so the Fed is in a position where it can never do the right thing because then it has to confront all the consequences of all the mistakes that it's made. So it keeps making more and more mistakes. But eventually, you know, it can't go on forever. The market's going to catch up with the Fed and we're going to have a dollar crisis and the party's over. It doesn't sound like fun. No, I mean, it's not going to be fun for most people. It'll be very profitable for me, but I'd rather make money uh, off of the success of the country, not off of the failure. But unfortunately, uh, you know, our leaders don't give me any choice. Yeah, I hear you. So on the left, on your left shoulder, you have a book called The Real Crash um, that you yeah. wrote. Okay. Is that book, is that book helpful for what we're going to be about to go through in your mind? Yeah. Even though I wrote it in 2013, it was basically a follow-up on my book, uh, Crash Proof, because after we had the 08 financial crisis and the market collapse, many people believed that that was the crash that I wrote about in my 2007 book. So I need to remind people that the real crash is yet to come, that what we experienced in 08 was just the warm up. And in fact, what we experienced in uh, 2020 early on was 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 just a tremor. You know, the, the real earthquake is the one that's coming. The real crash is the crash of the dollar. And when the dollar crashes, it takes the whole U.S. economy down with it. And again, the Fed is powerless. The government is powerless to do anything to artificially stimulate the economy, uh, this is going to be a crisis from which there is no, uh, you know, a way out. We're just going to have to deal with it. So to you, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And it's already been a matter of uh, too much time. That's the problem. And so many people have gotten very complacent uh, and in fact, very critical of me uh, because a lot of the, dire warnings that I've given haven't materialized. But people underestimate or they, they look over the fact that so many of the things that I have predicted have in fact happened. I mean, far more things uh, have happened that I predicted than anybody that I know. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the people who are in the, you know, the mainstream, their predictions have been constantly wrong. I mean, the only thing they got right is that the stock market went up, but it went up for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the economy is is uh, is moving uh, in the direction that I forecast in that the whole thing is uh, being propped up by ever increasing monetary supports. You had a lot of people in the mainstream who believed that the Fed was going to be able to normalize interest rates and shrink their balance sheet. I said from the beginning that that was impossible to do, uh, that they, the Fed could never deliver on that promise because it had created a phony economy that was addicted to the to the cheap money policies that it was claiming that it could it could withdraw. Uh, but you also forget that when everybody was so bullish uh, leading up to the financial crisis, I was a lone voice in, in, in crying out that this was a fake bubble caused by the Fed, that housing prices were going to crash. It was going to bring in a, on a financial crisis. And, you know, all those things happen. People forget about it. Uh, and I was very critical of the Fed's policy response because I knew what was going to happen. I just didn't know how long it would take to happen. And it's taking longer than I thought. But because it took longer than I thought, 
the crisis is going to be much worse than I thought. And we're headed right for it. All right. I, I mean, I mean, it's good to hear. So how are you protecting yourself? Is it buying gold or is it other avenues? You guys are doing at Euro. Uh, so if you guys check out epacfunds.com if you want more information what Peter Schiff's up to, epacfunds.com. Uh, yeah, so how are you protecting yourself? What are you doing? Well, I'm pretty much in the same positions that I've been in, you know, for the last decade, uh, except now they're, you know, moving up more. Um, but I have mostly non-U.S. equities, foreign stocks. We overweight the resource sector. So we try to own businesses that will be beneficiaries of inflation and uh, rising commodity prices. We have money in emerging markets. Of course, we have uh, money in uh, mining stocks, precious metals. I think gold will be a major beneficiary. Um, there's been a little bit of a bump in the road with uh, the distraction of uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, but I think they amount to nothing more than fool's gold. And I think they enjoyed their day in the sun uh, while gold uh, was kind of in the shadows. Uh, but gold's going to reemerge uh, stronger than ever as the, uh, you know, the, the main uh, alternative to fiat currencies in general and the dollar in, the, in particular. And as gold really starts to shine, that's going to take the shine off of these cryptocurrencies, which are uh, likely to crash as well. Uh, so you think the cryptocurrencies will crash as well, even though you have like Shamath and every, the whole brigade in it, Mark Andreessen, you think it's just one of these things that people are just playing the Ponzi scheme, like just get, get it up, get it up, or pyramid scheme yeah. or whatever. Look, you had a lot of hot money that chased the NASDAQ bubble uh, during the 1990s. That didn't stop it from popping. Uh, the air came out and a lot of stocks went bankrupt. And even those that survived were down 80, 90 percent. Uh, so, yeah, you always have a lot of people crowding into a bubble. That's what makes it a bubble. Uh, this one certainly got a lot bigger than I thought. Look, we just added uh, Tom Brady into the mix the other day. He now sports the laser eyes. I saw that. Uh, uh, Zuckerberg got it. I guess it was a joke or a riff on Tom. He claims that he has uh, a goat named Bitcoin. <laughs> I tell you, you know, if I had a jackass, I'd name it Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I mean, the, the whole thing is is is, is nuts. Uh, but you know, this is what happens when yep. you have all this cheap money. Uh, bubbles uh, pop up all over the place, and of course, nobody can recognize their own bubble, right? So when you're in a bubble, uh, you don't know it. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that there are so many uh, fanatics in this cult uh, that, that, that think I'm the one that doesn't get it. Well, they'll get it eventually, but by then it'll be too late because they would have lost their money. And, and do you have this conviction, like you're saying, because just because you've seen this so many times, just dressed up differently each time, basically? Well, it's not just that I've seen bubbles inflate and pop. It's, it's that I actually understand money and, and what is money and what is not money. And I understand the difference between money and currency and the difference between a fiat currency and a legitimate currency. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people that are into Bitcoin don't understand it. They, they know a little bit. They know just enough to get a, into a lot of trouble, because if you only know half the story, uh, then you can fall for this con. But if you really understand money and how it works, you know that Bitcoin will never be it. Uh, and, and so it's going to it fails at its primary mission. 
But other than that, I mean, it has all the hallmarks of a classic uh, bubble in what amounts to a collectible digital token, which is all that it is. And it derives value from the fact that other people think that if they buy it, it'll go up and somebody else will pay more for it. Uh, but, you know, you have these financial networks like CNBC that are completely taken in by it. Remember, these guys were totally fooled by the dot-com bubble, totally fooled by the housing bubble. Uh, there is no real understanding of economics or finance on that network. It is pure entertainment. I thought it was interesting that they spent so much time covering uh, Elon Musk's appearance on Saturday Night Live, because I think CNBC is as much a financial network as uh, Saturday Night Live. It's all entertainment. It's all comedy. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about over there. So, yeah, that's why they're so enamored uh, uh, by Bitcoin. And, and it's so easy for somebody to come on there and, and pump this stuff up and fool every one of their on-air anchors about what it is, because they don't understand finance. They don't understand economics. They don't understand investing. Uh, you know, they're just there to help advertisers sell products and they masquerade as a, a financial news network. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, I, I have two more quick topics to get to, though. So I got to on. There's two more topics. One you talked about in Joe Rogan. You have some interesting ideas for the inner city. Can you quickly address like how we can turn around inner cities? You, you had some interesting things you said on that show. Well, I mean, I don't remember what I said on Rogan, but there's a lot of things the government could do for inner cities. One would be to end the war on drugs. I mean, that's an easy thing to do. Uh, and then, get, you know, get all the violence and all the crime out of those inner cities. So uh, decriminalize drugs. I'm not just talking about marijuana, but I mean, all these drugs that are illegal. I mean, they shouldn't be illegal. I mean, responsible adults should be able to make choices, even bad choices. And if they want to take drugs, well, let them take drugs. I mean, it's not up to another person to try to impose their morality or you know, on, on somebody else. So, uh, you know, let's stop trying to do the impossible uh, and uh, free up uh, these cities uh, from all the crime. The other thing we could do is implement a voucher system so that the inner city parents can take their kids out of uh, those uh, horrible government schools where they're just indoctrinated and maybe they can actually learn something uh, from a private sector, uh, you know, school um, and have real competition. But more, more than that, a lot of the people in the inner cities, what they really need to do is learn a trade. They're not even going to benefit uh, from uh, advanced education. They need to learn a trade. But the best way to learn a trade is not even in the trade school. It's on the job. You know, you want to be a plumber. How do you become a plumber? Get a job and work for a plumber. You know, you want to be a carpenter? Work as a carpenter's assistant. You want to be an electrician? work for an electrician. Why don't we have all these people, young people working for, uh, you know, skilled professionals? Well, we got the minimum wage law. We got occupational licensing. We've got uh, payroll taxes. We've got all kinds of uh, laws that make it very difficult for young people to get jobs from older people that have more experience. So get rid of all those labor laws, get rid of the minimum wage law. Uh, all, the, all of these barriers to entry that the government has put in the way of young people acquiring marketable skills. You know, let, let the government get out of that. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, you know, we, we, we need to, to, to break the cycle of, of welfare and dependency in the inner cities. So, I mean, so that's an even a, a bigger, uh, you know, a can of worms to open on having to get rid of the welfare state uh, and just in general, uh, you know, move away from, uh, you know, what we have now back towards a, a free market system. I mean, the, the, the parts of the country that would benefit most from the free market 
are the inner cities, you know, because capitalism creates wealth. And that's where wealth needs to be created uh, more than any place else is in those cities. But, you know, the government stands as a, a huge roadblock uh, preventing that from happening. So there, you know, there are a lot of things that, that need to be done, but unfortunately, none of them are going to get done. In fact, everything the government is doing now is going to make those problems worse. I know, and I said it to you before. Why don't you, I mean, you ran for office before, but it's like I, hearing you talk, I want you to run again because so many of the things you say is just like such no-brainer things that like no one does, yeah. and, and they just keep but, repeating the same shit. But the problem is there aren't enough people that have brains that will vote for me. Most of the people don't have brains, and they're going to vote for my opponent, who's promising free stuff. And they're going to believe my opponent. Oh, Peter Schiff wants the old people to starve and, and die. And, you know, I mean, if he wants to take away this and take away that, as if the government is actually providing this and that. The government's not providing anything. But unfortunately, the voters don't understand this. And it's hard to really condense my message into a bumper sticker that's going to compete with, you know, free stuff. But what so if we- that's the problem. But what if we all got together, we got like 10,000 people together, 100,000, we each put in $100, we buy you airtime on ABC, which I guess no one really watches, at like 8, <laughs> 8 p.m., we do a Peter Schiff infomercial that we all support, and it's not called an infomercial because that has a bad connotation, but it's a thing, because like, I mean, you, you make so much sense, but there's the same, I mean, do you, like, the government is giving my county that I live in, in Michigan, before I moved to Puerto Rico, they're giving the gov- our county like $400 million dollars. We have a surplus. They don't know how to spend the money, and they can't even give tax. They can't even reduce taxes for this whole Corona thing. We have a surplus of two hundred million dollars. They're giving us four hundred million dollars, and they don't know what to do with it. The, the city. That's what's going on in Michigan right now. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. Well, again, you have to forget or, or remember that politicians they have a job, right? Their job is to get elected. That's what they do for a living, and and so that's all they care about, and they care about their own careers in politics and the money they're able to make for themselves pursuing their political careers. And it's not just the salary that they make. I mean, that's a small part of it, but they are able to make a lot of money trading off the influence that they peddle from being in a position of power and being able to share that power with people who pay the money in order to get access to it. So that's what their main concern is. I mean, if their policies you know, destroy uh, the economies of their cities or their states or their country, well, you know, that's just collateral damage, you know, and they probably justify it by saying, well, if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. Right. Because if, if I lose this election, it's just going to be to a bigger crook than me. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, I, you, I might as well stay in office because I'm going to steal less than the next guy. Yep. Yeah. And guys, we're with Peter Schiff. You're a Pacific Asset Management. Go to the site, get his newsletter. I mean, you guys hearing hearing group think is not good. Peter, Peter gives a differing opinion. And doesn't shy away from saying his opinion. I visited him out in Puerto Rico a couple months ago, and I think we should all move to Puerto Rico. It is yeah. it, 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 no, I mean like I have the whatever. We're not done yet, but I'm getting closer. Um, will you yeah. tell people what it's like to live um, in what I call heaven before we know of heaven? Puerto well, Rico? I love it here. I mean, Puerto Rico is a great place uh, to live. It's a great place to raise a family. I mean, obviously there are different parts of the island. I mean. Yep. But where I live, I mean, where, you know, you, you saw it. Don't say uh, the name. Don't say the yeah. city. I don't want any more uh, yeah, prices look, going up. I know. Okay. The real estate price have probably doubled again since you left. A hundred percent. And you have great, yeah, yeah, you have great neighbors, insane. too. You have great yeah, neighbors yeah. It too. really is. I've never seen anything like it when it comes to real estate. Of course, it's a bubble, too. I mean, I'm not. it's not like I don't recognize 
the fact that it's a bubble because I'm living in the bubble. In fact, we all we all refer to this community as the bubble. And we all live in a bubble. And now it's literally a bubble because real estate prices have tripled and quadrupled. And it's not stopping people from making all cash offers sight unseen uh, before they even come here. Um, but yeah, you know, people, you know, now, you know, they, they start to see what's happening with higher taxes uh, and, uh, you know, knowing that this is not the end of it, right? I mean, it's like the tax increases are simply going to beget more tax increases because what happens is the bigger the government gets and the higher they raise taxes, the worse the economy gets, the more the government spends. And so now they have to raise taxes again. And the taxes that they're raising help to destroy the tax base, meaning that the people who haven't been destroyed have to pay even more, right? I mean, you really see that on a state level where the states raise taxes and then people leave and now the tax base is smaller. So now they have to jack up taxes even more on the people who remain and now more of those people go. And then it's like the last person left is stuck paying all the taxes. And then it's a race to get out. And I think that's actually happening, too, on a national level, except the only place to escape to, unless you're going to renounce your citizenship, is Puerto Rico. And it's surprising to me that, you know, a lot more people aren't already here. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I mean, my wife is the only thing that's slowing this up. But I mean, I think we're we've, I think we've hit a point now that. She understands. So it is it's unbelievable there. Um, so, Peter, I, I know you're busy. Your viewpoints, people keep writing in the chat. Please have Peter on weekly. You guys read Peter's books. I'm telling you, I've learned a lot over the years. Read his newsletter. Go to your Euro Pacific um, Asset Management, epochfunds.com, E-P-A-C-F-U-N-D-S. Um, and be careful of his, of his pranks because Spencer Israel here <laughs> got had. I mean, it was so funny, Peter, before you came on. He was like, Jason, no, I'm positive. He, he, I'm like, Spencer, if, if I say that and he, Luke, will you, will you, so, so Spencer did not say he's positive that, that, that Peter changed course on Bitcoin. He said he's 200% sure. Whenever you're 200% sure, I mean, you better be really sure. Well, yeah. you know, the people who keep thinking that I'm going to, you know, throw in the towel and just capitulate, right, and buy Bitcoin, they think that what's going to force me to buy it is, more more people buying it and the price going up. So they think if the bubble just gets big enough that I'll get sucked into it, right? And this is not going to happen. I mean, I mean, there are certainly people, I think there is a lot of pressure on Wall Street. They just want to make money. And, you know, they jumped on the bandwagon of the dot-coms. Uh, who do you think was peddling all the subprime mortgages? So the fact that you have these big investment banks that are now participating in the Bitcoin bubble doesn't do anything to validate uh, what it is because all they care about is making money. They see a bunch of people buying Bitcoin. They see all these companies raising money, going public, operating in the Bitcoin space, and they need to get in on it. They don't give a damn that it's going to end in tears. They don't care. Remember, you know, hey, if the music is playing, we got to dance. We got no choice. And so that's what's going on. But don't be fooled into thinking that somehow – these guys are validating this concept. They're just trying to make money. And they're afraid that if they don't do it, one of their competitors will. And so they're in there. They're going to give the public exactly what the public wants until the public is broke. Right. That, that's that's their history. And now, you know, you have some companies. Well, there was one company that came out today, you know, that said, oh, we're going to maybe we're going to put Bitcoin on our balance sheet. I mean, that's like the new you know, dot com to your name. If Whenever your company is in trouble and you're losing money. The Hail Mary is, well, we'll just buy some Bitcoin. And then, like, you know, it can keep going up and people will, you know, 
pay attention to the paper profits in our Bitcoin and they'll ignore the fact that our business is lousy and maybe our stock price will just go up with Bitcoin instead of down with our business. Uh, but, you know, all this is predicated on nobody selling. I mean, what good is it to have an asset that you can't use? I mean, the only reason Bitcoin hasn't crashed is because people aren't selling. Now, there are some people selling. Some of the people buying houses here in Puerto Rico, they're doing it by cashing in Bitcoin. You know, so that's part of the, what's fueling the bubble. And one of the reasons that prices are so high is these Bitcoins got all this cash. As long as they sell, uh, they, they, they can have cash. But the reason they can sell is because hardly anybody else is <laughs> because they all think they're going to get rich, but they're holding nothing. But eventually people are going to want to turn that nothing into something. And that's when it all evaporates. That's when all the paper profits go to money heaven. Cut that as a clip. Put that out. That clip for the last two minutes. That rendition. Cut that. That's it. Put it to the reel. Peter, thank you for coming on. We got to awesome have you on segment. more often. Awesome. Absolutely awesome yes. segment. If you, if you join this late, you guys got to literally go back and listen to this. Wait, Peter, um, I got I got one more question for you if you have one more minute. Oh, you've been dying yeah. to ask, Aaron. Right. I know. Yeah, better, have. It, better, it better be good because you've – it better be good, Aaron. How's it go going? Ahead. I'm Aaron. I'm the one that was messaging you on Twitter. Um, so, uh, you know, this is kind of a macro question. So a lot of economists have been calling for, you know, obviously a lot of inflation coming with all the money printing. But when you look at the at the CPI, we haven't seen a huge increase in that as far as just consumer goods. Like you go to the store, a loaf of bread is still similarly priced to what it was pre-COVID before we did all this money printing. Are you expecting that to, to rise or is there a reason why we haven't we've seen certain well, asset prices such as lumber, real estate? really inflate, but not the uh, CPI. I don't know where you're shopping, but I think that the prices that you're seeing in the markets are higher than they were. Uh, so you got to look at the actual prices of what you're buying, not what the government claims is happening to the prices of what you're buying, because nobody can buy the CPI, right? You have to actually go to the grocery store and buy the food that's on the shelves. And so what matters is what that food actually costs, not what the government claims it costs after they calculate uh, the CPI, because those numbers are meaningless. And of course, it's all by design. I mean, the government does not want to report a high inflation rate because all sorts of bad things happen once they have to admit that. So what they want to do is find a way to mask how bad inflation is so they don't have to do anything about it. And that's what's going on. And, and now, of course, the Federal Reserve, its key word is don't worry about it. It's transitory. Yes, prices are going up, but don't worry. They're not going to stay up. I mean, how do they know? And, and why would they not? With all the money they're printing, everything that's happening suggests that the only thing that's transitory is we're transitioning into very high inflation. And the price increases that we see today will not only be reversed tomorrow, but they will accelerate that the gains in, in 2022 are actually going to be bigger than the gains in 2021. And then the gains in 2023 will be bigger. The whole curve is going to be accelerating. And it, I don't even know if the Fed will ever be able to admit that it's not transitory, because if the Fed admits that inflation is permanent, well, then what does it do? Because it can't do anything about it. I mean, not unless it's willing to crash the stock market, crash the real estate market, bankrupt the U.S. government, not only force the U.S. government to abandon any future stimulus, but to take back the existing and past stimulus and maybe even default on its bonds. Um, 
you know, so there, there's no way that the, that the government can admit there's an inflation problem because they can't cure it. Uh, so they deny it. Uh, but people can't, aren't going to live in denial. And I think what's going to start to happen, maybe even before the end of the year, is when people go to the supermarket, they're not going to just buy what they need for the week. They're going to buy what they need for the year, maybe two years. They're going to buy stuff that doesn't perish, right? Things that they know they're going to need and not just supermarket and all sorts of uh, stores. Americans are going to build up their own inventory of stuff, right? Uh, because if they wait, this stuff is going to cost a hell of a lot more. I mean, you can make a better return buying your toiletries that you're going to need next year and in two years and three years. Buy them now. I mean, you know you're going to use them. And if they're going to be 10%, 20%, 50%, 100% more expensive in a few years, why buy them in a few years? Buy them right now. It's a guaranteed return as long as you got space to store the stuff. And, you know, worst case, you know, maybe you don't even need the deodorant yourself, but your, your neighbor might. And you could trade it for something that you that you forgot to buy that he might have. But look, prices are going to go up, so shortages are going to result. All this stuff is going to happen. It's it's not transitory at all. And this whole inflation psychology is going to take hold because when people recognize how much more expensive things are going to be in the future, they're not going to wait for the future to buy them. They're going to buy them right now. But then, of course, the sellers, they're not going to want to sell stuff today that's going to be more valuable tomorrow. That's where, you know, you, you, you'll start to find it difficult to buy things. But the same thing is going to happen with foreigners who are holding dollars. They're about to run from the dollar. I mean, once people realize that the dollar is going to go down, why ride it down? Get out now. Preserve your purchasing power while you can. I mean, there is a run that is going to start on the dollar. I mean, right now we're kind of like the, the lull before the storm. But it is coming. And, and you need to get out ahead of that. But, and, but when the dollar really starts to crash, that's what's going to accelerate uh, the increase in consumer prices, which will be much more pronounced than it already is. You know, and at some point, the government won't be able to hide it, uh, you know, uh, beneath those uh, phony statistics. Got it. Yeah, I was just curious if you kind of saw those CPI rates as legitimate, which it sounds like you don't. So they're, they're never legitimate. It's like, <laughs> look, would you expect the mafia to put out a legitimate survey on crime? You know, if the police, the police hire the mafia. They say, hey, we're wondering if we need no, we need more cops in this community. Can you do this survey of crime? And so we know if we need more police, you know, what do you think they're going to say? Hey, there's no crime at all. In fact, you don't even need the police you've got. You can fire a few. Everything is great. You know, of course. So, you know, the government is the, the fox guarding the hen house. I mean, you know. Well, I appreciate you answering my last question. You know, that was one I just was curious about. I've been, you know, worried about that inflation. So it's 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 good to hear your point of view. All right. Yeah, remember, remember the, the Federal Reserve said said subprime was contained. That was their big word. Hey, don't worry about subprime, it's contained. Right. Now they're saying the same thing about inflation. Don't worry, it's transitory. Right? Transitory is gonna be the big word that they're gonna have to eat. Uh, you know, when when we end up with uh, massive inflation. Got it. That is protracted, ingrained, and is going to be a permanent part of the American uh, experience for I don't know how many years or decades. Uh, we're going to have to get lived, used to living in high inflation. Well, I love it. We, we might have to put out a, a nice little clip of that one, too. So we, we've got two good yeah. clips here. And yeah. remember, when you have a high inflationary economy, you don't have the reserve currency. So we're going to have to live in an environment where we no longer uh, print the reserve currency, which means our standard of living is going to plunge because our consumption is going to be limited to our production. 
and our borrowing is going to be limited to our savings. And so uh, it's a whole new world uh, that Americans are going to soon be waking up in. Well, you know, it, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. It'll be interesting yeah. to watch. Um, thank you again for joining us. Today. All right. And, and like, like, right. like in the comments said, we got to get you on more often, maybe once every two weeks or so. All right. Peter, All right. I, hope, well, I hope we see, I hope I see you in the D very soon or Puerto Rico, that little bubble that we talk about. So <laughs> hope to see you All there. Right. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Appreciate it. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.